Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Our WDET Summer Book Club is in full swing, and you can join me this Thursday for the first in a series of virtual WDET Book Club events that we are holding to take a deeper dive into the lasting impact of this year's pick, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. This week's Zoom event is Thursday at 8 p.m., and you can register at wdet.org slash events. And if you haven't already, you can join the WDET Book Club uh, on Facebook, where the conversation is live every day. And we have had an incredible response to the book club this year. There are more than 500 people on the Facebook group, and there is an incredible number and array of conversations about Invisible Man and the themes inside that book and how relevant they are today taking place every day there. So go to Facebook and join the WDET Book Club group or join us on Thursday for the first of our virtual WDET Book Club events. Up first today, it was a case that made no sense from the very beginning. A 15-year-old African-American student at Groves High School in Birmingham was sent to juvenile detention for not completing her homework. Grace, as the young woman is known, had a hard time making the adjustment to remote learning during the pandemic. And a judge decided that what was best for her would be some time in, well, jail. When the story was reported in July, it took social media by storm. An online petition asking for Grace's release got over 300,000 signatures, and local activists have protested outside of Children's Village, the center where Grace was being detained. Last week, Oakland County Prosecutor Jessica Cooper's office called for Grace's release as well, and on Friday, an appeals court ordered Grace released from Children's Village to live at home with her mother, while she remains on probation. It's a case that raises a number of issues about criminal justice and young people and race in Oakland County. And joining us now to talk more about this is Jody Cohen, a reporter for ProPublica Illinois, who is the person who broke the story about Grace. Jody, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So for listeners who may not know, about Grace's story. Give us a rundown of what happened to her and why. I think you just did a really great job of summarizing it, uh, but I will uh, add to that. So Grace in November was charged with uh, two charges. She was charged with assaulting her mother outside of their home where a neighbor had called police. And a few weeks later with stealing a cell phone from a classmate, So those charges were pending throughout the winter in juvenile court, and her case was heard in April, on April 21st, where the judge decided that she should be put on what's called intensive probation, which is where she has to regularly check in with a probation officer, follow all rules, and one condition of the probation is to do her schoolwork. Now, it was during remote learning, She's in Birmingham Public Schools, and remote learning had actually just begun. There was about a month break between when the schools closed and the remote learning began. 
So she was um, just at the beginning of that. She has some learning disabilities, ADHD. She has an IEP and has one-on-one support in, in school. And with the remote learning, she was struggling with that. Um, by her own admission, she was not very motivated, uh, which might sound familiar to other families. Right. And she, um, her, her mother told the probation officer, look, she's having a hard time getting up. Um, she, and the probation office and doing some of her work and the probation officer, um, decided to violate her probation to, you know, petition that she had violated her probation. She went back to court in May, in mid-May, and the judge said, look, you didn't follow the rules. You're going to the children's village. And, and the judge was trying to send a message here, is my, my guess, that, that she was serious about uh, Grace, you know, adhering to the, the terms of her probation. Um, but, but describe the toll that this case took on Grace's mother, for instance, the idea that her 15-year-old daughter was sent essentially to jail for not doing her homework. Oh, it's been incredibly emotionally heartbreaking for her. She, from the minute the probation officer said she was violating her probation, you could see in the records that she said, please don't do this, submitted a list of all the things that they were doing the next day um, in May. The tutoring was to begin every day. They were seeing, um, look, they have a, a contentious, they have a history of a contentious relationship. They were in family therapy, individual therapy. And she said to the probation officer, just, you know, please don't do this. And then they were, um, you know, obviously separated. She was in detention for, um, she was in detention at first and then transferred to a like, long-term treatment program within Children's Village where she was getting mental health treatment and other treatment. And um, that was a six-month program. So they really faced this long separation. She ended up being there for 78 days in the end. But um, it, it, through letters back and forth and conversations, you can see just how hard this was. Um, Grace told the court, told the judge multiple times, please send me home, as did the mom. Hmm. So initially, Oakland County prosecutor Jessica Cooper supported Judge Brennan's decision to remove Grace from her home and send her to Children's Village. And then last week, Cooper changed her stance and called for Grace to be sent home, which was kind of a surprise, I think, to to a lot of people. What is it that you think led to Cooper changing her mind here? Well, there was a lot of public pressure, uh, which you talked about, a lot of protests. Um, The election is today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And... That could be part of it. Um, you could see in, in the court hearings, it's really the caseworker in the court who's making the, um, you know, a, a, giving the advice to send her to Children's Village. Now, now, the prosecutor agreed with that multiple times, said she should go to Children's Village. Um, but they, you know, now said in court last week and the Court of Appeals, we support her release. So you're somebody who's done a lot of journalism about children and schools and the way in which uh, the criminal justice system deals with young people. Uh, Give me a sense of, for you, how surprising this case was and and when you learned about it, uh, what, what, what your reaction was. 
Well, kind of both sides of it. The facts of her being um, put into detention because of a series of events that started with her not doing her schoolwork, that's what led to the violation. The violation clearly states, like, this is because of schoolwork. The judge said in her order, you know, detained for failure to do schoolwork. That part of it, I mean, even since the story was published, I don't know of another case where those facts, um, you know, of schoolwork being the violation is, you know, leading to detention. But there, you know, are, um, you know, by talking with people like Jason, who you're having on later, and others in the, you know, who work with juvenile justice, they say there is this um, issue of juveniles being detained for, you know, status offenses. So not re no new crime, just, you know, not following probation or something called incorrigibility. That's um, in, in one thing that, some, you know, often girls get in trouble for in Michigan. Um, so there was a surprise that, that schoolwork was the issue, but not so much a surprise that um, this was, you know, that juveniles were being detained for, um, non-status offenses. So the, um, the one thing that people were surprised about was that during COVID, you know, Governor Whitmer in, in, in Michigan and other states were calling for the release of juveniles from detention right. and not putting them in detention during COVID because of the risks of being in congregate settings. So that was a surprise that she was put in detention when um, some would argue there was not a substantial and immediate safety risk, which was the standard at the time that the governor said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Jody Cohen, a ProPublica reporter who broke the story of Grace, a 15-year-old student at Groves High School in Birmingham who was sent to juvenile detention for not completing her homework during remote learning uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, if you want to give us a call, uh, let us know what your thoughts are on Grace's story and her release, which happened last week. Uh, we're looking to hear from those of you who signed the petition or attended a protest uh, for Grace. What made you feel passionate uh, about this case? Also, give us a call if you live in Oakland County uh, and, and have encountered the juvenile justice system there. Uh, that's something we're going to talk about a little later on the show, how this case fits into a larger context of justice and criminal justice and race in particular uh, in Oakland County. Uh, what do you think about uh, what happened to Grace and what happens to so many young people uh, in Oakland County. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Jody, we've already got some uh, uh, interesting Twitter comments here. Uh, one one. Twitter listener says, jail the probation officer and the judge. The caseworker needs to be terminated and investigated as well as the judge. This isn't the first time that either have done this. I, I wonder what you make of the prospect of consequence for 
the people in, involved here? Is there, is there a potential, I suppose, for consequence given the, the, the incredible reaction to this case and the sense that I think a lot of people have that this judge was just out of line doing what she did? Well, the Michigan Supreme Court, their administrative arm, is investigating what happened with this case and Oakland County Court. So they are taking a look at the specifics of the case and the more general operations, and they can issue or will issue recommendations or, you know, I'm not sure that they would be consequences, Mm -hmm. but there could be some changes as a result of that review. Yeah. Um, Were you surprised by the social media traction that this story got and how quickly, really, uh, that traction led to a a change in in the outcome? You never really, you have no idea when you (laughs) write a story what's going to happen. If anyone's even reading, right? Right. Like, you can see there, okay, I'm going to, we're going to publish this, maybe someone will read it, or, you know, of, of course you hope many, many, many people read it, and that was the case here, and they were spurred to take action. So there, you know, it brought up underlying issues, um, and it was, you know, it became a spark that maybe people were you know, needed to, to take action. And that's just been really interesting to watch, the hashtag free grace. Um, I heard from a friend in, in Oakland County that she was driving around and saw free grace on a car. Um, so, and that, and that young people and high school students had been motivated to protest and demonstrate outside the courthouse. So it's just been, you know, really interesting to watch and, you know, brought up issues that that people felt the need to mobilize on. Sure. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. Great, great conversation. Thank you, Ed. The problem here is the combination of the existence of status offenses and a great power judges have dealing with conditions of probation. Disobeying, a minor disobeying one's parent can be a status event. Uh, it's a status offense that the judge rules that the minor is incorrigible or otherwise disobedient. Mm-hmm. And the state gives the judge the authority to punish a child for being disobedient. And those are regularly misused by judges, quite frankly, particularly against children of color. The other problem is the probation issue. Judges have great authority to condition probation. In this case, I don't see where it serves the interest of of educating a child or training a child or even chastising a child to put that child in, in juvenile detention a failure to do the homework. Mm. The judge needs to look at why is the child not doing homework? Child lack a computer at home or lack or other problems, some of which your guests have alluded to, that may exist that may be difficult for the child to do the homework by herself. 
Yeah. Ed, I need to do a deeper thinking here. Yeah, Ed, I really appreciate the call and and the thoughts there. Uh, Jody, there was a hearing at which Judge Brennan defended the decision she made and said that Grace was exactly where she needed to be by being at uh, at Children's Village. What was what was the rationale though that the judge was was using there? What was her hope in terms of what would change in terms of Grace's behavior. It, it couldn't just have been about homework after after seventy eight days in 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 detention. Judge Brennan was referring to the contentious relationship between Grace and her mother, mm-hmm. and she spent about forty five minutes discussing that history of police calls and child welfare calls, most of which were from twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. There had been no um, a physical aggression since that November call, no calls to police. But the judge's rationale was that Grace needed to you know, get some help to work on those issues and that the work wasn't done. She was in the middle of a five-step program and she was on step two and that she should stay there to finish the therapeutic program. Mm-hmm. Uh, she limited that hearing to discussion only on the treatment part of her decision, not on her decision to violate that the probation had been violated. So there was no discussion about the schoolwork. And in fact, um, in, back in May, when the when she did detain, when the judge decided to detain her, the uh, Grace's teacher was there to testify but she had to leave to teach a class and never did testify. And Grace's attorneys at the hearing um, earlier this month for early release tried to call the teacher again, and the judge did not allow that. Um, the, you can see in emails between the caseworker and the teacher that the teacher said to the caseworker, Grace is no different than any of my other students who are having trouble mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Okay, Jody Cohen, reporter reporter for ProPublica Illinois, and the person who broke the story of Grace. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue to talk about the story of Grace and what happened to her in the Oakland County criminal justice system. And we're going to put it in a little context, talk about how the county is dealing with young people, especially young people who are African-American. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about the story of Grace, a 15-year-old African-American student from Groves High School in Birmingham who was sent to juvenile detention for not doing her homework during the remote learning that we were all trying to work our way through during the COVID-19 pandemic. We talked with Jody Cohen, a reporter for ProPublica Illinois, who broke the story of Grace and 
the story and the coverage and the social media reaction uh, is what led ultimately to the pressure that led to Grace being released last week. We want to spend the rest of the show trying to put that case, though, in a little bit of context. Grace is not the only young person in Oakland County who is subject to an incredibly aggressive prosecutor's office and a bench that is uh, inclined in many cases to come down really hard on young people, in some cases for pretty minor transgressions. She is also far from the only African-American young person in Oakland County who is seeing a disproportionate response to them uh, in these cases. Uh, lots of changes, demographic changes that have taken place in Oakland County, I think, have led to a real response by schools in some cases, by social services, by the criminal justice system that reflects the larger inequalities in our community and in our nation. Joining us now to talk more about that is Jason Smith. He is the director of Youth Justice Policy with the Michigan Center for Youth Justice. Jason, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Also joining us is Tylene Henry. She is a parent leader with Birmingham African American Family Network. Tylene, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Sure. So, Jason, I'm going to start with you, and uh, I'd love you to talk about the idea of the school-to-prison pipeline how you think this case of grace in in Birmingham is a reflection of that and how it reflects this kind of larger issue that I was talking about in the open that we have in Oakland County. Sure. So um, for folks who aren't aware, the school to prison pipeline is essentially the idea that young people, uh, primarily uh, youth of color, um, black and brown youth, are pushed out of schools, uh, either um, through a disconnection from uh, uh, their academic coursework, uh, suspension or expulsion, or behavioral incidents that uh, result in some sort of school-based re- uh, arrest that, uh, as a result, uh, leads them to being referred to the juvenile court system. So actions that are academic in nature um, resulting in them becoming involved in the juvenile justice system. Um, there is This is a, a nationwide phenomenon, uh, a problem of young people being pushed out of schools and pulled into the, the juvenile justice system. And I know that Jody just spoke and her, her report was excellent. One of the things that really highlighted how Grace's case was an anomaly in, uh, for the school-to-prison pipeline is you actually had the school and uh, the teachers and, and, and support staff advocating for her both before she was uh, confined and afterwards. Um, for mo- many young people, they unfortunately do not have that support system advocating uh, for their continued service in the community uh, by the schools, by school staff, um, when uh, the, the juvenile court or caseworker that's involved with, with them or their family recommends some sort of out-of-home placement. Hmm. And this, this, in some ways, I, th- I think it's really interesting that you say that this is an anomaly case because, or anomalous case because, you had the school and administrators saying, "Hey, don't react this way," but in 
in a in a different sense, this is the textbook case of what you're talking about here. This was an academic violation, an academic issue, and it landed this young person in the criminal justice system in a court where a judge decided she needed to go essentially to jail. Yep, absolutely. And um, while there is not strong, accurate data to say how much of an occurrence this is in Oakland County, how many young people are being confined for status offenses, offenses that are only uh, criminal because of a, the age of a young person. So some of the examples that Jody gave previously of truancy, encourageability, uh, not doing your schoolwork or, or attending school regularly. We do know statewide that we are one of the few states that uses what's called the valid court order exception, mm -hmm. uh, which basically uh, allows juvenile courts um, who, are not, who cannot uh, detain a, a young person who's adjudicated and brought into the juvenile court system for a status offense as their original offense into detention, but can do so as a violation of probation, similar to Grace's case. Mm -hmm. Not every court, uh, not every state uses that valid court order or VCO exception to detain young people for minor offenses, non-criminal offenses like those mentioned, but Michigan as a state is, is one of the states that does use it. And we can assume because uh, youth of color uh, are disproportionately uh, pushed out of school, suspended, expelled, um, face school-based arrest, uh, or referred to the court from school, that a lot of young uh, people of color, uh, black youth, end up in the juvenile justice system as a result of academic issues. Hmm. Uh, Tylene Henry, uh, I would love for you to talk with our listeners about uh, the Birmingham African American Family Network, what it does, and how it advocates for students like Grace. Absolutely. So our, you know, our mission or vision is to create an environment that fosters equity in education, athletics, social inclusiveness, um, so that we can maximize the positive learning experience for all students. And so we do that by making ourselves available to parents. And we act as a liaison between parents and uh, the district and administration. Mm. So, you know, at times there may be concerns with the quality of education or equitable access to education for students in the district. Uh, and quite often either we're, uh, you know, approached or engaged by parents. And then sometimes the district will engage us to assist with um, those lines of communication and ensuring that um, you know, parents are aware of the resources that are available to them. So we typically have monthly meetings in which, you know, we'll have organizations like um, Friends of Different Learners, for example. We had them uh, maybe fourth quarter last year, and they came in and they talked about different resources and support groups for parents that have students that have, you know, individualized learning plans and some may have cognitive um, learning, different learning needs. Um, we celebrate uh, Black history, and we did that during Women's History Month by having, um, you know, some local uh, woman Black women-owned businesses to come in and talk about um, growing their businesses, some of the unique challenges that they face, and talking about some of the history around um, that development. And so we really try to be a, I don't want to say a one-stop shop, but just that voice so that parents that may feel like they are, um, you know, one in a, a large uh, 
a, a, a huge environment of other parents that definitely don't look like them. Um, so they feel like they have a voice. And one of the things that we're very proud of is Saturday school, which, you know, as a result of the pandemic, you know, and it being summer clearly isn't happening now, but we uh, helped the organ help to coordinate with the district to um, develop this Saturday school because one of the main concerns we had was the achievement gap or mm. opportunity gap mm. that black students um, in the district and all across the country really are experiencing. And so that Saturday school provided, um, you know, resources and tutoring, free, tutor, tutoring free of charge um, for parents and students, and everyone was welcome, but that was an initiative that was led by the Birmingham African American Family Network, and more specifically, um, Mr. Arthur Jack and um, some of our other former leaders, uh, like uh, Jamie Brooks and Jason Lee. Mm. And so, you know, that's what that's what we are there to do, uh, and we hope to be more proactive. <clears throat> but sometimes, unfortunately, we get more, you know, engagement when something bad happens. Yeah. So, so I also would love to, to hear you talk about the African-American presence in Birmingham schools. That's something that, so when I was a kid here in the 1970s and 1980s, growing up in, in Detroit and, and you know, interacting with, with kids from, from all over, there were not really black families in, in the Birmingham schools. Uh, there, were, there were very few, if any. Now, that's really different. And there's a part of this story, I think, that gets to that demographic change and the reaction to that demographic change over time by the, the, the school community there in, in Oakland County and in Birmingham and by the, the, the criminal justice system. So... That's a very interesting point, um, and especially to share with me because I've been uh, in the Birmingham Public School District. I actually graduated from uh, the same school that Grace attends. Wow! And um, I believe that this the the growing presence sometimes gives people a sense that there is inclusion and there's a equitable playing field, but it's that's not always accurate. Mm. Um, I think that the district over time and parents um, have come together to um, try to be a bit more proactive in, you know, making sure that, you know, educators and um, the administration are aware of, um, you know, some of the biases that exist and some of the disadvantages that exist for African-American students. Um, so that they can have a more equitable learning environment, but there's not the inclusion efforts are not necessarily there always across the classroom. I think that there is an understanding of a need, but it's not, um, you know, we're not moving fast enough. And just to give you an example, when you talk about what's the present. So um, in the 90s, you know, there were issues with skinheads. You know, mm -hmm. I had a cousin that went to Groves and folks would ride by and yell the N word on their way to school as she was walking. And there was engagement there, and it was like, oh, we're going to handle it. And now here we are in 2020, mm. and there is a direct line of communication between the African-American parents and community um, with the administration. However, um, you know, obviously, as we can see what's going on with Grace, it's not, um, we're, we're not there yet. And so we see African-American students, students being pushed into more alternative learning programs um, when we look at the percentages. We see them being um, 
you know, suspend it more often and kind of push out of the classroom. And that's a historical thing, right? We know that, you know, when the schools were integrated, that there was always this sense of we don't really want to be together. Mm. And so I think some of that, you know, is is still apparent in small, in, you know, in areas of administration and the policies that are there. And so it's just working to really educate the administrators, make sure they have implicit bias training, and make sure that we're present. That's the thing. The students are there, but parents, we have to be present and we have to be persistent and we have to demand that our children have equitable access to education. And people, they don't, everyone doesn't know how, so we have to work with them to make sure that our children get what they need. Mm. Uh, We're talking about the story of Grace, a 15-year-old student at uh, Groves High School who was sent to juvenile detention by a judge in Oakland County for not doing her homework during the remote learning that we were all trying to figure out during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're talking about how that case fits into the larger narrative of demographic change in Oakland County and the reaction to demographic change in Oakland County. Uh, The prison or the school to prison pipeline that exists in this country and as it plays out here locally in Metro Detroit. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Let us know what you think about uh, the case of Grace, this 15-year-old student who was sent to juvenile detention. But also give us a call and let us know what you think about the changes that we're seeing in places like Birmingham and other spots in Oakland County and what the reaction has been, what the reaction looks like to those changes. Are we seeing a pushback through the criminal justice system to the idea of integration, for instance? Uh, You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to work them into the conversation. Uh, Teresa on Twitter says, I've worked with teens for 34 years in Oakland County as a social worker. Online school has been a disaster for my entire caseload. I was sickened by the incarceration of this child for so many reasons I do not have space to list. There was a more effective way. Uh, Lova on Twitter says the disturbing part, well, one of them in this situation is the perpetuation of the lie believed by white people that they know what's best for black people and children especially than we do for ourselves and our families. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Hi. You know, I, listening to this is so heartbreaking, and I've been following the story, but I just want to raise up two things to for us to think about. Uh-huh. One of them is that the judge in Oakland County, under the prosecutor's office there, recently resentenced a juvenile lifer without parole, who mm-hmm. you know were entitled to a new sentence mm-hmm. under the Supreme Court decision. Judge Nancy Grant in Oakland County recently resentenced Barbara Hernandez, who's been in prison since she was 16, to another life sentence mm-hmm. without meeting any of the necessary criteria to do so. It was so automatic. And that child was 16, and she's been in prison now for 30 years. Wow. wow. She should have been given a term of years and released. She could have, she could have already been out, but now she's got a go through this appeals process. And the other thing that I want to mention is something that I witnessed in court in Oakland County 
there was a, I was there to translate for someone. I was accompanying a person who needed translation. And while we were sitting in court, a case came from a young woman. She was, the defendant was a 17 year old and they brought her in in shackles and in a prison uniform, in a jail mm. uniform. Wow. And she had been in prison for four months. I mean, in jail, I'm sorry, in Oakland County Jail. She had been in jail for four months awaiting trial for shoplifting from Walmart. And she was a senior in high school. She had a newborn baby at the time she was arrested for stealing diapers in Walmart. She lives with her grandmother, so the great-grandmother's caring for the infant. And the, uh, the court-appointed attorney asked if she could be released on bond so that she could go to her prom. Oh, and the judge refused to let her out, gave her no bail. She gave her no bail for stealing from Walmart. And the judge actually ultimately asked me to leave the courtroom because I was translating for the man sitting next to me because I was so incredulous about what was happening. And I was telling him what the judge was saying. And, the ju- and I, I couldn't help but to start to cry when she, I, I saw that young woman hmm. just her shoulders went down, her head went down, and they put her back in jail for stealing diapers. There needs to be a very serious investigation of Oakland County. Mm. Thank you. Uh, Elena, I really appreciate the call and, and those examples. Jason Smith, I'd love for you to respond to that. Do we have a problem in Oakland County with the prosecutor's office? Do we have a problem in Oakland County with the bench, the judges? who uh, sit in the courtrooms out there when it comes to these kinds of issues? And is that problem related to uh, to racial bias? I mean, is, is it driven by, by some racial bias? Sure. So research shows that young people in Michigan, which I, I definitely consider a 17-year-old girl a youth, and uh, starting next year, 17-year-olds will be in, in the juvenile justice system as a result of the a passage of the raise the age legislation that uh, raised the upper age of juvenile jurisdiction to 18. Uh, she should not be in an adult facility. Um, Their the research is clear that that's harmful mm-hmm. both to physical and mental health. Um, and, and there is no uh, rehabilitative quali- qualities of having a young per- person, a child in an adult facility, uh, especially for a serious issue like this. Again, I, I stress that one of the problems that we have, not just in Oakland County, but uh, statewide, is a lack of publicly reported, uh, reported data. Mm. So we are totally unaware of how many young people are in any kind of facility, whether it's jails uh, or juvenile detention facilities or longer term residential facilities, what their reasons for being there are, how long they've been there. Um, it, it, that That's a major problem. And it, that and, and let's let's. To get into that just a second, what's the reason for that lack of information? Uh, I can tell you, uh, you know, my my knowledge base is strongest in the juvenile justice system. Mm-hmm. It's uh, data that's shared with the state. Much of it is is done so on a voluntary basis um, to to the state court administrative office, which is managed by the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, there is no public annual reporting of any kind of information. Uh, that's shared with the state. Mm -hmm. Um, Every county uh, maintains different definitions um, for uh, different categories related to the justice system. So, for example, one county may consider one thing an arrest 
uh, only if, if a young person is, goes into custody. Another, if you have simple police ca contact, th they consider that an arrest. So it's hard to measure the two. Um, but that, that being said, there's nothing stopping anyone who is interested in studying a specific issue um, a specific aspect of the justice system doing a one-time study. I, I think that to resolve a lot of these problems, we need better data. We need to understand how many kids, uh, how many graces are out there, how many young people are in uh, confinement for low-level offenses, um, especially during a pandemic. You know, no. uh, that's what made the, uh, the, this case of Grace extremely frustrating is the governor put out the executive order, like Jody reported in her article, um, encouraging juvenile courts to limit new admissions unless a, a young person is an immediate and significant threat and and suspend technical violations for probation. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way of us knowing how effective that executive order was. We've heard from several courts who self-reported that they've uh, dramatically released uh, their a number of youth from their facilities and halted new admissions, but there's no way to know across the board uh, the impact of that. And and also if that reduction of confinement has, has been sustained. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about grace and the issues that surround this extraordinary case from Oakland County. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Norris in Detroit, Ben in Rochester Hills. We'll get to you next as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, Thanks very much for tuning in. I'm talking with Jason Smith, who's Director of Youth Justice Policy with the Michigan Center for Youth Justice, and with Tylene Henry, a parent leader with Birmingham African American Family Network. We're talking about the case of Grace, a 15-year-old African American student at Groves High School who was sent to juvenile detention for not doing her homework. We're talking about how that case fits into the larger questions about criminal justice and youth and race in Oakland County. If you want to join the conversation, as always, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter. Put comments there, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Norris in Detroit. Norris, welcome to the show. First of all, I'd like to say that it needs to be made clear that Grace was not locked up for not doing her homework. She was locked up for probation violation. But having said that, but that was, the, that was the violation of her probation that they cited. But having said that, I think this punishment was way too severe and over the top. I think it was some little 15-year-old white girl from Birmingham who was guilty of the same exact offense. We wouldn't be talking about this now. Oakland County is notorious for the unfair and unequal punishment meted out to non-white people mm -hmm. in the county. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I Norris, I, I we're having a little trouble with your line, but uh, but I do appreciate the call uh, and and the, and the and the thoughts. I mean, I, this idea that that if Grace were a white fifteen-year-old uh, student at Groves, that she might not face the same uh, the same consequences. Uh, Tylene Henry, uh, res- respond to that. Is 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 Absolutely. that your experience in the in the Birmingham? Absolutely. Schools? I mean, she likely would never have been there to start. So, you know, when we really look at the different layers of this and you look at socioeconomic disparity and how economics plays into this, even when you look at the incarceration rates, everything that we've set up to this point, if you don't have uh, the resources or relationships to have, um, the, uh, have an attorney or know that you need an attorney to advocate on behalf of your child, um, if you don't know the implications of having the um, juvenile justice system get entangled into your family matters, um, then you're ultimately at a disadvantage. And so what we see in, in a lot of cases that the likelihood of a young white girl being in this particular scenario is, is far less because likely if she has any cognitive or behavioral um, needs, she's going to be diagnosed accurately and sooner at a younger age. So the therapies begin sooner. Likely what will happen if we're dealing with a young um, white uh, girl, um, her behaviors are going to be seen as childhood behaviors and, uh, t- t- you know, just childhood immaturity as opposed to her behaviors being criminalized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so these are um, the constant um, challenges that black students and black families are up against. And that's everywhere. And some folks think that you can move to another zip code and then you're you're in a better you're in an environment that has better more resources but we don't it, the the system doesn't change and so once you get into that system which is kind of designed to be able to control people and resources and labor and you know it's all a capitalistic system you know you're kind of subject to whatever um, the powers that be decide is going to be accurate for you which is going to be based upon their uh, opinions and perspectives and stereotypes. And so if we don't have representation at all levels, um, then we are being perceived however society has, you know, has, has perceived us. And if that's lazy, if that's um, disobedient, if that's violent, if that's a super predator, whatever your impressions or interpretations of black people and black children are, then that's how you're going to deal with them. So that's how they get pushed out of the classroom. Hmm. That's how they end up in the criminal justice system. And if we don't have the accurate health care or resources or uh, the proper legal support and guidance, um, then our students and our children and our families are constantly, and this is like traumatic. Like this isn't just like, oh, a bad thing happened. And, you know, this is something that's traumatizing. And they continue to make the offenses of students you know, there's a zero tolerance. And according to the rules now, I probably would have been expo- it, it, um, exposed from uh, Birmingham Public Schools for bringing a party popper, which they said was a firearm. And that was back in like 19, hmm. you, I mean, in 1998. Hmm. And so, you know, we've got to do something differently and we've got to get the resources to parents that they need. And if you don't have the money for a private therapist or to get your child assessed, you know, the likelihood of them ending up in a similar scenario is is, is, is um, significantly increased. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Ben in Rochester Hills. Ben, welcome to the show. Morning, Stephen. Hi. Um, I just want to say, you know, I think the lack of support, no, 
networks for people, um, you know, with kids having these kind of problems is, you know, leading to these problems. Um, when we were growing up, my mom was a single mom. Dad wasn't around to handle my brother, who we later found out was, you know, bipolar. And, you know, he was acting up and difficult to, you know, manage and mm-hmm. handle and stuff within the home. But nothing nothing dangerous or anything like that to the level that it kind of needed. And uh, the, the only resort my mother had was, you know, calling the police at, you know, when it got to a certain point, the schools weren't able to help. Um, you know, so both me and her were, you know, kind of stuck at the position where we called the police. And then, you know, the point at which, you know, it was probably the second or third phone call to the cops when they came out and stuff started going downhill. And then, you know, I would warn anyone before you call the cops, they, pulled him out of the house and you know he he started back talking to him when they, when they took him to the street to talk to him and the cop just laid him down on the road wow. um wow. and that led into a cycle the, the weird thing about it is they actually let him go to my dad afterwards um and then a couple days later called the cops again yeah uh, uh, ben for, i i really appreciate you calling and sharing that story jason smith i want to get you to respond to that this idea of, I mean, one of the things that's true here is that there there is an issue with a lot of kids and they need help. They, they, they can't get it that easily in places like Oakland County or even in, in Wayne County. I, we only have about a minute left, but I, but I do want to get you to, to address that. Sure. I, I, I think that it's a tragedy that there are uh, families who are seeking uh, to do the right thing, get help for their uh, young person and can only do so by involving them with the, the, the justice system. Um, we need these robust uh, serv- menu of services that are available to uh, adjudicated kids in the juvenile justice system. They need to be at the front end for uh, families who are seeking preventative measures, preventative services to treat kids outside of the formal system. Because you're right, there may may be some treatment provided uh, once a a young person comes involved with the justice system, but also as a result, they're at risk of being confined, Mm -hmm. where research shows that they have worse outcomes than community-based kids. And there are times where young people or their families actually have to pay the cost through fines and fees of their care and services uh, allocated by the juvenile court. Yeah. Okay, Jason Smith, Director of Youth Justice Policy at the Michigan Center for Youth Justice. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And Tylean Henry, parent leader with the Birmingham African American Family Network. It was really great to have you here as well. Thank you. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we'll get an elections update from Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. And, of course, today, special thanks to our student producers, Lauren Azu and Ali Audette, who produced today's show. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.